Thank, thank you very much, Sister Ruth. Ruth, uh, it's as, as usual, it's a pleasure to be with God's people and in God's presence. I would like to lead you in our study this morning, no, this afternoon, under the title, The New Covenant Guarantees Something More. Guarantees Something More. And I've selected a passage from the book of Hebrews. I discovered that the writer of the Hebrews was fascinated with the concept of the covenant. So that in five of the 13 books, chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, he had something to say. He incorporated the concept of the covenant in his teaching in the book of Hebrews. I have selected just one, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 14. And I'm reading from the New International Version, and the caption <clears throat> is worship in the earthly tabernacle. And I read, now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Hence, the name, the Ark of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But Christ, when Christ came as high priest, of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption. 
The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. You'll notice that the passage begins with this elaborate system that was set up by God to facilitate worship. But it ended with, a, 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 it, it, it appears simple, but a more effective means by which we are able to serve or worship the living God. And that's one of the benefits of this new covenant that we've been talking about. Now, <clears throat> astron astronomers discovered that long before Pluto was discovered and named, these astronomers knew that it belonged to the solar system, not because they identified that they saw it, but because of its gravitational influence on other planets. The other planets were experiencing this gravitational influence on them. And so they knew that whatever is its name, wherever it, it belonged to the solar system. Of course, eventually they discovered it and named it Pluto. Similarly, reading the Bible results in the sense that there is a continuing, a connecting, beg your pardon, a connecting tissue that holds everything together. Despite the fact that every episode seemed to be isolated, existing by its own. But there, there is a sense that there is something that is holding these events, these episodes together to make a whole. By the biblical characters, for instance, who stand out above others, seem to have a knowledge of God that caused them to act the way they did. What is that knowledge? What is it that they knew, that they applied, that made them behave the way they did? And so when we think of Bible, we think of people like Abel and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Esther and Ruth and David and others. Their faith gained authority from some hidden truth about God. The question is, what is that truth? What is it they knew about God? that made their faith work for them. So that in Hebrews chapter 11, we have a, a, a long list of people that, 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 that the writer of the Hebrews referred to as the ancient elders who were enlisted in God's hall of faith. Were their prayers and worship inspired by a revelation that was irresistible? Of course, these are rhetorical questions. Were their lives built on a foundation that made them different? Think of Abel, who the Bible said offered a better sacrifice than his brother Cain. 
Think of Noah who obeyed and built an ark that ended up saving his family. Abraham who obeyed God and waited 25, 27 years for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And then after the promise of God was fulfilled, he obeyed God and went to offer his son. Think of Moses. Moses alone who could say that God is going to raise up a prophet like me. Think of Caleb and Joshua. Think of Esther and her obedience to risk her life to be God's representative of, to become God's appointed representative of her people. And think of Ruth, who left her homeland, followed Naomi, and became grandmother of David. And David himself, who received the promise that God is going to raise up one of his descendants to <clears throat> reign forever. Now, what did they know about God that seems to be a secret to us 21st century believers? What is it? What is this concept? What is this something? I would like to submit that this is the covenant-keeping God. A God who from the beginning made a covenant with Adam and Eve. A God who made a covenant with Noah. A God who made a covenant with Abraham. A covenant with David. And a God who committed himself to make sure that the promises, the blessings are going to be forthcoming. Promises are going to be fulfilled and the blessings are going to be forthcoming. Have you ever thought about what was David hinting at when he referred to Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine? Was he thinking of circumcision as the sign of the covenant? And that while, whereas he was circumcised and covered under the covenant, Goliath and the other Philistines were not, and therefore felt that this God who had committed his life for the success and the success of the nation should not be humiliated and laughed at as they were for six weeks. When David and other psalmists referred to <clears throat> the loving kindness and the mercy of their God. What were they affirming? Did they understand that loving kindness and mercy are referring to the covenant of God? That God has pledged his life to protect and provide for his people. In the Old Testament, there's a word in the Hebrews, hesed. And hesed is a word, it's hard to define, but one of the meaning, one of the usage of this word is covenant. There's an Arab proverb that said, that goes like this. Blood is thicker than milk. 
Now, what do you think this means? Blood is thicker than milk. Does it mean that those bound by the blood of the covenant are in a stronger bond than those who drink of the same mother's milk? I think so. To be in covenant relationship is to be bound together by a commitment of love that is freely given and a sacred oath, which is what we read in the explanation that the writer of the Hebrews give us about the covenant. That the covenant was not only a promise, but the covenant, although it was not necessary, the covenant was reinforced or confirmed by an oath that God, God swore by himself because there was no greater than God because usually you swear by someone greater than yourself. And so if you are under that covering, if you're covered by such a covenant, then yes, blood is thicker than milk because every covenant that we read of was ratified by blood. There was even the practice where if two persons make a covenant or the representative of two tribes or clans or nations make a covenant, each person would cut their wrists and they would bring the two wrists bleeding together so that the blood will flow from one wrist into the other wrist. So when the Arabs say, Blood is thicker than milk. This is what they are saying. That the oath creates a new kind of family that is bound together in an unbreakable life and death relationship. And so with that as an introduction as long as it is, let us look at the text that we just, we chose for this study. And what we notice is that the opening words of the text, <coughs> excuse me, refers to the first covenant. The first covenant. The first covenant, he said, had regulations for worship in the earthly tabernacle. And this tabernacle was the first temple. It was portable because they carried it during the 40 years they were in the wilderness. So on the one hand, the first covenant included regulations for worship in the earthly tabernacle. On the other hand, according to this text, the new order deals with worship in the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is not part of this creation. So our theme or our caption says, that the new covenant guarantees something more. And the goal of this, or the purpose of this covenant is to bring people who were not a people to become his people so that they would worship God. In other words, to, to restore what paradise was. Because remember, God would come down in Eden in the cool of the day and meet with Adam and Eve, which was a time of worship as his creatures would recognize 
the creator as sovereign, as God. They'd worship him. Now that relationship was broken. And from the very outset, God committed himself to restore this relationship between the creature and the creator between man and God. On the one hand, worship was led by priests and a high priest daily and annually with the blood of animals offered for himself and the people. That's what verses 6 and 7 says. On the other hand, praise God, Christ, the great high priest, offered his own blood only once for all, obtaining eternal redemption. This is so profound and means so much to us that with your permission, I'm going to repeat it. Whereas on the one hand, worship in the earth, the tabernacle was led by priests and a high priest. There was only one high priest at a time. And the <clears throat> offerings would be daily offered daily and annually and with the blood of animals and for themselves the priests and the high priests and the people on the other hand christ is the great high priest in fact in describing how great this high priest is that there are two or three chapters in which the writer of the Hebrews introduced us to Melchizedek. And in one place it says to show how great Melchizedek was. Abraham paid a tithe to him. And you own, the, the tithe is really the offering you give to a king. And so Abraham recognized that Melchizedek was king and priest at the same time. King of Salem, King of Righteousness. And he, he showed his recognition by offering him a tithe. And the writer of the Hebrew says that Christ became a high priest not following the tradition of Aaron because he was not born in the tribe of Levi. He was born in the tribe of Judah. Uh, in uh, among the Levites, high priests were succeeded. The, 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 the term ended with death, succeeded by someone else. In the case of our great high priests, the Bible says, and I like this term, it says that he lives in the power of an indestructible life. So, God swore that he would be a priest forever because he's going to live forever. Yes, he died because he says he offered his own blood only once because it was enough. He didn't need to do it like the, like, like, like the, the priests and the high priests in the earth, the tabernacle. It's only once and he could because he was both man and God because you know it is a strange term to refer to the blood of God because in our mind God can't die but God remember God became a man his name is Jesus and he shed his blood for all the purpose, the result, the benefit of this was the writer of the Hebrew says eternal redemption. There was nothing eternal in this elaborate first covenant system because 
there was the Day of Atonement was annual. And what they did on the Day of Atonement was only to cover sin. And then it had to be maintained like the fellowship offerings and others on a daily basis. But glory to God. In this new covenant. Ratified by the blood of the great high priest. Who is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. A priest forever. He offered one sacrifice for all. Obtaining, says verse 12, eternal redemption. And we praise God for that. Secondly, on the one hand, the first was impermanent and inadequate. Providing, as scripture says, only external cleansing, but not clearing the conscience of worshippers. So even after the elaborate activities on the Day of Atonement and their daily burnt offerings, etc., there was still the feeling of guilt because what they did was only temporary. But on the other hand, in the new order, says scripture, much more is now available. What is it? Eternal redemption through the blood of Christ, offering of himself through the eternal spirit. In the earth, in the, earth the tabernacle, there is no mention of spirit. But here is the eternal spirit cleansing the conscience and only God through his spirit can cleanse our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. So as elaborate, as detailed, as divine as that system was, it grown to produce dead works. Couldn't cleanse the conscience. But glory to God, the one sacrifice. And notice, notice the emphasis, much more, much more is now available. And it is available forever. And so we are now equipped. Because of the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ producing eternal redemption to worship him with consciences that are cleansed. On the one hand, <clears throat> under the first covenant, there was only a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven, making worship as best preparatory. It is preparing us. And that's what the Bible says. This, the whole system was like a schoolmaster leading us to the real teacher, the real sovereign, the real person, the real governor. The others are what we call governess. They're only serving to prepare us. Yes, they help us to understand and to learn about the exceeding sinfulness of sin but it had no power no ability to cleanse sin to pardon sin to remove the guilt of sin so it does soothe the conscience temporary but in i don't this term is not too right but in the back of your mind you know that there is much more that is needed. And thank God the much more came. Because on the other hand, Christ offered the ultimate act of worship, which is himself, described as without spot, unblemished to God. And listen to this, resulting in a ministry 
which the writer of the Hebrew says is superior, becoming the mediator. And the mediator here is not only referring to him as instituting anything, but he is the one who is guaranteeing that it holds and it remains effective and it lasts, becoming the mediator of a superior covenant founded on better promises, on better promises. Chapter 8 and verse 6. He's a mediator not only of a better promises, but he's also, according to verse 15 of chapter 9, the mediator of a better covenant. So that, says the scripture, those who are called will receive the promise eternal inheritance. You notice the play on the word eternal, eternal spirit, eternal redemption, eternal inheritance. There's a whole section here that deals with the certainty of the promise. And the certainty of the promise is based on the fact that there are two immutable, unchangeable principles here at work. One is the promise and the other is the oath. He swore by himself that what is promised is going to be fulfilled. Nothing nor no one can hinder the fulfillment of this promise. And in chapter 6, we are told that the goal of this promise is hope. Is hope. And in fact, he talks about we have fled as refugees to lay hold of hope. So that this Hope is not only a goal, but this hope, according to the text, becomes, it, it, it actually personifies this hope. He says this hope, in fact, let, 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 let me read it for you in chapter 6 of Hebrews. He says, <clears throat> um, Verse, chapter 6. <clears throat> he says, God did this so that by 2, verse 18, unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who had fled, we are not sure what we're fleeing from, it could be hopelessness. It could be the threat of death. Because that's what the new, the old, the, the, the first covenant does. It reminds us that we are sinners and that the wages of sin is death. But now that the new order has come, we flee. We have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us to us making us greatly encouraged we have this hope as an anchor now when Karen was talking about the navigation of the ship one of the one one of the features of a ship is an anchor no matter how big, and the anchor is so much smaller than the ship. But because the anchor goes all the way down to the seabed and finds rock to grip and holds that big, heavy, how many ton ship in place so that the waves and the wind does not affect it, it remains where the captain wants it to be. And here we are told we have this hope as an anchor 
for the soul. Firm and secure. Where does the stability, the security comes from? It says that it enters the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, not in the earthly tabernacle, but in the heavenly tabernacle, behind the curtain, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. Now, what is strange here, there's a departure. You know, the new covenant has introduced radical change. One change is that in the old system, only the high priest once a year would enter into the presence, into the Holy of Holies. Now we are told that Jesus has entered into the Holy of Holies as our forerunner. Because it says distinctly, who went before us has entered on our behalf. So he has opened up this new and living way, says chapter 10, whereby we can come boldly into the very presence of God, which is where we are today and we praise God. And this is what makes the difference. This is why we can worship God. And he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So one of the more that is guaranteed is hope. This hope that enters into the, the sanctuary behind the veil where Jesus our forerunner is, who is the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek because he lives in the power of an indestructible life. Bible says he's priest forever. Amen, amen. Because God has sworn. Jesus has become our guarantor of a chapter 7 verse 22 of a better covenant. A better covenant. Now, As Karen was speaking, I reflected on the fact that the writer of the Hebrews referred to the Jeremiah 31 passage twice, once in chapter 8 and once in chapter 10. And one of the things that impressed me about the new covenant is that whereas the navigation was written on stones and is external. We now have, and let me just say praise God. Let me say hallelujah. A built-in global positioning system, a GPS system. It's built in. It is deep within, as Sister Ruth emphasized. It is written on our hearts and our minds. And we praise God that that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. And that's where God communicates with us in our, in our human spirit. We can't see, I've never seen anybody's spirit. But it is there. And that's where God dwells by his spirit. And from there, God leads and God guides us even this morning as we come to worship. So, by way of application, well, no, on the, yeah, let me just complete this. On the one hand, under the first covenant, there was only a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven, making worship preparatory. On the other hand, Christ offered the ultimate act of worship by offering himself unblemished to God, resulting in a ministry which is superior, becoming the mediator of a superior covenant founded on better promises. 
And our prayer this morning should be, let the Holy Spirit lead us into ultimate worship. Ultimate worship was Jesus giving himself. Not the offering of the blood of bulls and, and, and goats and sheep and turtle dove. Not even our money, but ourselves. Because that's what God is interested in. The Bible talks about calls on us in Romans 12 to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. By way of application, Christ is the offerer and the offering. Amazing. Never happened before. Never in the old order this ever happened. But now Christ is the offerer and the offering. His own blood is his life. It is the blood on the altar that makes atonement. And so he had to lay his life, lay his life down. And we are privileged to participate as we will do shortly in communion with the body of Christ, in communion with the blood of Christ. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Let us keep festival, let us celebrate. Let us celebrate this new covenant and what it means. The forgiveness of sins, the built-in GPS, the hope that we have an anchor for our souls. And let us worship him. Because this is the only thing he seeks, our worship. And he has equipped us to be true worshipers. Because he has removed the guilt of our sins. He has cleansed our conscience and equip us to worship. Let us therefore worship in spirit and in truth. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have discovered now the secret of this covenant that was at work from the beginning and all through biblical history until the coming of Christ and effect of which, benefits and blessings of which we enjoy today. We just ask you, Lord, to continue to lead us by your spirit so that we will worship you, the living and true God, who continues to commit yourself to us, to make us what you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Heron. Thank you for giving us that comparison and contrast between the old and the new. It's quite powerful. I found it quite powerful. And with that, my sisters and brothers, we are going to take our communion. The communion is not a ritual, but an act of remembrance to solemnly reflect on this new covenant which guarantees more. This morning we were told that the new covenant, when the new covenant, Christ was the Christ the offerer, gave himself as the offering so that you and I can obtain eternal redemption through the eternal spirit, which cleanses our conscience as worshipers from dead works to worshiping the living God. And I don't know if, 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 you, if you grasp what was shared with us this morning, it is not a silent moment. It is it, 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 just listening to what we heard this morning could have caused our spirits to be jumping, dancing, there will be that rejoicing. That because of this new covenant, 
you and I are guaranteed things that we never had. We have a better promise now. Better covenant, better promises. And so as we look this morning at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we also recognize that in looking, the new covenant also offers that unifying act of the body of Christ coming together to be one. In Luke 22, verses 19 to 20, let me read it quickly. And Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body. That's what the new covenant was doing. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he said in verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus was giving us his body. And the bread that we're going to take this morning symbolizes the body of Christ. And in breaking the bread, we are reminded of the ultimate price Jesus paid for our eternal redemption. Not part partial redemption eternal redemption imagine you're not saved for today and next week you're saved for eternal eh? eternity is guaranteed to those of us who come and partake and receive this new covenant that guarantees far more than the old covenant guaranteed the wine symbolizes jesus's blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. I don't know about you, you know, but Jesus had to die for me. And this alone gives me the opportunity this morning, even though I'm feeling not so feeling so well in my body, it gives me a moment to celebrate that, you know what is mine? Eternity is mine with my father. Eternity is yours with your father. Forgiveness of sin is ours. And, and because God, Jesus had established yeah. this new covenant as the mediator between God and mankind. I couldn't go to God. I was not worthy to stand before God to pay the debt that I owed. But Jesus, the mediator, did it for you and he did it for me. And today he has sealed it with his blood and he said, listen, blood is thicker than milk. Eternal redemption is offered. And so today when we drink from the cup, we recall the immeasurably grace and love poured out for our, for our salvation. So as we take communion today, let us remember what the old covenant offered was insufficient for what you and I needed today and what we will need in the future to be with our, with our maker. But Jesus came and he did it. What a depth of love. And so today, as we reflect, as we remember, as we contemplate, may we renew our commitment to follow Jesus and to be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this morning, you know, I love to wave my offering, whether it be a bread cracker, whatever you have. They, they are not the body and the blood of Christ. They symbolize what the new covenant offered, the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. So let us just offer our emblems to the Lord. And we say, Lord, thank you for this new guarantee that I have, God, this morning. Thank you, Father, that when you did it, over 2,000 years ago, I was on your mind. Your people, all of us sitting here, we were on your mind, Father. Father, what a promise. Father, what a contrast of the old and the new. Oh, God, that the unblemished, God, the only thing that could have been offered to you had to be unblemished. And so, Father, Jesus, your son, stood in our place and said, I will be the one. When, he, when the people sin, when, when your children sin, Father, I will be the one to go and shed my blood. Imagine, I sinned, but Christ died. You sin, but Christ died. And today, Father, we offer the crack this that represents or symbolizes your body and your blood. 
and we remember today and we ask you father to bless these emblems as we partake of them today remembering that we are guaranteed better promises because of what you have done jesus and so as we break this morning the bread we remember we remember how jesus shed his blood as we break this bread, we remember the ultimate price that Jesus prayed for our redem eternal redemption. So let us partake this morning and eat. Mm. And as we drink the cup, which directly symbolizes the blood of Jesus, we recall the immeasurable grace and love that is poured out for us and for our salvation. Let us drink this morning. Sister Tashina, what the blood? Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. Oh, the body of Christ, which offered the ultimate act of worship. Jesus himself did it. The unblemished God offered himself as offering for our redemption. What a gift. What a gift, my sisters and brothers. Let us just reflect on what he did for us. Let us not take it lightly because we do it every month. But let us stop this morning and reflect. Let us rejoice. Let us just praise him this morning that the offerer became the offering. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blood, Jesus. Thank you, God. God, I couldn't die for myself. I couldn't repay my own sacrifice. I couldn't repay my own debt, God. Thank you, Father, that you did it for us. You did it for us. And through this new covenant, Father, we have what we did not have before. Better promises. Better promises. That guarantees more. 